0: Block Talk Radio
1: Good morning. This is Gigabit Nation: Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I want to thank you for taking time to be with us today as we provide useful information and insights to help public, private and nonprofit organizations get more, better broadband everywhere it needs to be. If you have been following uh, my blog and my radio show, you will probably know that in these last few days I have become very ecstatic about um, a deal that's been struck between uh, an Australian company, Macquarie, and Utopia Network, which is a consortium of, um, I believe, 13 cities in Utah that have banded together and have been at this actually for quite a while, getting their broadband project off the ground. Um, we've all heard the news about Google and, and Google coming in to build a network. But one of the things that has come along with that has been about, do the, do the deals that Google uh, puts in place favor the company more than the, the communities? And the Macquarie deal first caught my attention because basically this deal is one in which I consider it to be a true public-private partnership in that um, the benefits for the community, for the cities involved, is as as the benefits for the private sector company. So today I wanted to go into detail about the, um, the Utopia deal with Macquarie, what does it mean, what does it involve, but also, and maybe even more importantly, will this give other communities a benchmark so that they can go in and negotiate better deals with companies that are trying to come in and build their networks. So my guests for today are uh, Wayne Pyle, who is the chairman of the board of Utopia and also the West Valley City Manager, and Jesse Hurst, who is um, editor of Free Utopia and all-around expert on all things broadband that's happening in the state of Utah. Gentlemen, welcome to the show, and thank you for being here this morning. Thank you. Thanks. So let's, uh, let's start with the deal itself. Basically, you have structured – I'll start with you, Wayne. You have structured a public-private partnership with strong components and benefits for the city and obviously benefits for Macquarie as the private sector company what's the deal? I mean, like, literally, what, what are the, the, the main parameters for the deal? You, you bet. Okay. So, uh,
2: basically, to clarify, what we're doing is we're in the middle of considering the deal still. It's not struck yet, but we're in the long uh, evaluation process of that, and we've got past the first milestone, which has given us some very valuable information towards what the deal would look like. And what that would look like is Macquarie would come in and they would build, uh, operate, maintain, uh, refresh, and provide uh, ubiquitous access to all the cities that are in the network and that sign on to this deal. The cities would still own the network and it would remain open just as Utopia has been in the past. Um why Macquarie would do this, uh, at least from a financial uh, interest end, is they've proposed to build this around a utility fee model. So similar to what many of us do as cities in terms of building water or sewer or, or other kinds of uh utility structures, they would build um the 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 fiber network as an actual utility. hmm
1: And so Now, how did this first come out? Who approached who uh, at the start of this? Uh, We
2: had a mutual contact who we were actually working on uh, with some some wireless projects uh, called First Solutions. Uh, They happened to be working with us, as I mentioned, uh, Utopia, in a build scenario, and then they also had contacts with Macquarie themselves, so they introduced the two of us.
1: Okay, and um, now I'm, I'm not very familiar with Macquarie other than some of the stuff that I've read on their website. But my understanding of the, of the company is that they build or they finance infrastructure projects. And they have done a number of these around the world. And one of the things they then, I, I'm assuming they bring as um, uh, value to the deal is that they understand how governments work, they understand government's commitments to their constituents, and they understand infrastructure projects, how these need to be funded and structured and so forth. And if I'm correcting that assumption, then all of these things were a big plus as they entered into initial discussions with you guys right at the very, at the very beginning.
2: Yes, I would agree with that. So basically the two largest uh, advantages I think they brought to us, which you've you've sort of outlined, are, one, financially they're huge, and they've done hundreds of these projects, totaling hundreds of billions of dollars uh, across the the globe. And, two, yeah, they just have a very good understanding through that experience of uh, working with governments and how to make that work.
1: Okay. Now, in terms of... um You know our our respective comfort levels. How does Macquarie view broadband? Because you guys aren't new to the game. Obviously, there are other communities that have been successful, so there's something of a benchmark from that perspective. But but how in your I don't know your view and, and talking with them, how do they how do they look at this whole broadband? uh you know as as an investment do they do they see it sound stable secure bulletproof do you get some sort of sense how they you know how how they view these deals or they they view this particular opportunity
2: uh hmm, yeah uh i'm I'm being a little speculative in speaking to that, but yeah this although they have good experience and a lot of experience in the telecommunications area this is the the first project specifically uh, built and designed like this that they have done, but uh, to your question specifically, they um, really do see broadband access as being vital to, uh, frankly, all of us in the future, and they see the, the P3 or the PPP model, as they call it, as being something as a, of, a, of, of a natural fit, once again, in terms of if you can... Um, and I think this is a thing that cities are just now start starting to sort of view, but if you can view fiber uh, network and and the broadband kinds of connections that they give as an infrastructure, that's a new concept, mm-hmm. and I think Macquarie is really kind of a pioneer there.
1: So now, Jesse, let me let me put a question to you from your perspective. What do cities offer a company like Macquarie? I mean, do you
0: really, it's a very it's a very stable type investment. Um, what you see all too often in a lot of broadband projects is, you know, like Verizon with FiOS, they're like, you know, we gotta have a payback in like two or three years because we've got investors demanding, you know, solid gold quarters every quarter, and you know, with Google, they're structuring their project. So, again, they're looking at like a three- to four-year payback. And taking that long view of we, let's go 30 years out, you know, when you set your time horizon on payback for 30 years out, you can be a lot more patient with getting things up and running. And I think that kind of view, you know, comes from their previous experience with infrastructure projects, things like bridges and airports, sewer and water systems, Things that aren't, you know, very sexy, but they, they're things that need to be done, and they need to be done over a very long period of time. And I think that kind of time horizon is what his, uh, is what his, is what makes this a lot different perspective for cities.
1: Now, well, now I can when I get a, you know, two perspectives on this second question or this next question, which is, you know, Utopia has a history. Um, and it has been somewhat um, of a struggle at points along the way from, it, from, the, from its inception. But ma- you've managed to hang on to this point and turn things around. Is there, is, there, is there things in the experience to date that has made you maybe even a better um, opportunity for a company like Macquarie? And we'll start with, with Wayne because, you know, you're, you're from Utopia and you understand it from the inside out. But I'd also like to get, you know, sort of an outsider's perspective on, on, uh, on Utopia. Does your history, you know, in fact help you be a, a better candidate or, a, you know, a good candidate for a company like Macquarie? Uh, uh, thanks. So,
2: yeah, I think that's actually a really good question. And you're also absolutely correct. I mean, we have struggled and struggled mightily over the last decade or more. I personally have either been directly or or peripherally involved with utopia from the very beginning, so I've watched the the travails all the way along the line. And uh, we have learned some very valuable lessons, and we have been exposed to all the pitfalls uh, probably that any system of this uh, nature could be exposed to. And I think that really does provide and uh, I, I don't know if this was one of the original reasons why Macquarie was looking at us, but I'm sure they see it as a as a value. Now we almost are able to work with them in, in kind of a consultant basis, if you will, because we can tell them, yeah, you know, you've, you've got to be looking out for this and you've got to be looking out for that and this will have to work or you won't be able to put the proposal together and have you thought of that. So, yeah, I think actually as opposed to, Starting in some place that hadn't had any system at all, especially in Macquarie's realm where they are they are starting afresh themselves, yeah, we really do bring some experience, valuable experience to the table for them.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, Jesse, as a as a you know citizen within the state, what's your does does the history of of Utopia struggle that they have succeeded where they have. Does that make them better candidate?
0: I think so, because a lot of the questions that would pop up in new cities have already been answered. Um, I, I understand that Google has been running into very significant problems with getting right-of-way in cities like Austin. Um, but those issues have been dead and buried in utopia cities for a long time. The cities have the right-of-way. They've already gone through all the lawsuits about right-of-way. The right-of-way is there. Um, They have all the first-hand experience of what does and does not work locally in their community, which is really important. Every city is going to have a little bit of a different flavor, and anyone who's coming in completely fresh, it's going to take them a while to get their sea legs on, okay, what what do I need to do to work in this kind of culture? Uh, So to have have that all taken care of eliminates some of the biggest problems. I mean, digging up a trench, putting in conduit, and putting in fiber is... relatively easy thing to do it's all the stuff like permitting and right-of-way that causes it causes the big issues for many of these projects
1: okay that makes sense Um, how did from your perspective Wayne how has the city the cities involved ultimately what is it that has led to their, their, their victory and I consider it a victory meaning you've overcome a series of challenges you've managed to hold your own you've managed to hold the, the cities together I mean it may not be everyone that was part of the original group but I think for the most part you're, you know, you've, you've got all these cities to hang in there um, what was the secret to your, your success to, to, to hold this thing together and then find and forge a deal
2: You know, I would say there's really probably two things. First, the original vision uh, was correct. You know, we've had execution problems over the years, there's no doubt about it. But I think the vision in which we foresaw the, the the ability for every resident, every commercial business to have access to this kind of bandwidth and have it in a way where true competition would be uh, inherent in the system is something that has held us together all through these years I will also say that the other the other piece of that frankly has just been the <laughs> we 're all together in the same boat and in a storm sort of a dynamic, and so we 've kind of mm-hmm. had the whole together
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, justy from your perspective, what do other um, citizens think about Uh, this whole process. I mean, I'm I'm trying to look for a, you know, the the average person on the street, because clearly there are, you know, some folks that are critics and this and that and this and that, but has the average person on the street seemed to be, you know, very, very supportive? Uh, Are are people kind of, I don't know, are are we getting people just jumping on, say, recently because of the, you know, the latest deal, and now people are becoming supportive? Or have people been supportive all throughout the the challenges that Utopia has faced and overcome?
0: Well, bearing in mind that it's possible that I live in a little bit of an echo chamber,
1: uh, <laughs> I'd say <laughs> that,
0: that you'll see people generally fall into one of three different groups. Um, you've got the people who absolutely hate everything Utopia, no matter what, doesn't matter anything you tell them; they're going to hate it forever and ever. And if there were a way that they could destroy it, no matter what financial harm they cause to the cities, they would do it in a heartbeat. Those people, thankfully, are a very small, yet vocal minority. Then
1: mm-hmm. you have
0: people who recognize, hey, the broadband market really sucks, and I really want better options, and the technology from Utopia is cool, but I just don't think, I just don't think these are the right people to do it. And then you've got the people like me that realize, this is the least bad option of getting better broadband. Um, you know, we're we're in quite a pickle broadband-wise because we've spent decades shoring up incumbent providers and having the city come in and be like, you know what, that's it, we're going to build it and let providers use it, you know. Not the best option for everyone, but it's, you know, the least bad. It gets the job done and it usually does it fairly well. Um, I've seen that over time... Um, I've seen more and more people be like, you know what, I don't care how it happens, I just need some way to get away from Comcast and CenturyLink. They are so sick of having you know, broadband that never delivers the advertised speed, has terrible customer service, uh, is always suffering downtime. They're saying, you know what, if it takes the city to do it, then I guess it takes the city to do it, and I'm sick of waiting.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, as we move forward, you know, you mentioned, Jesse, there are critics. Um, I want to start with Jesse to give us sort of an outline. What are some of the, like, I don't know, top three or four criticisms that uh, folks have made? And then, Wayne, from your perspective, you know, what's your response to those? We can take this, I guess, one at a time, you know, and, and go back and forth. But you know what's the what's the number one complaint? I mean, when people do complain, what are they complaining about?
0: The money. That's always it's always about how much it's going to cost me as a taxpayer if I want it or not. They, and um, you know, it doesn't matter how small the number gets, they'll always complain
2: about it. So okay. if you're responding to the the first one. I would agree with Jesse completely. That's the biggest and the single concern. And honestly, if people weren't in the position that Jesse just expressed earlier about, I'm so sick of the the current situation, Uh, I I would seriously consider even having the city come and take over. That's kind of historically the route that always has been uh, when when cities had to come in and and provide utility-type services. So to get over, so number one, the stage is sort of set, I would guess, I would say, on the finance question. But directly to the money question what we're trying to illustrate to people here is yes it is true you would be paying a utility fee here and there is money involved but if you'll just uh consider two three steps down the road here you will actually be financially better off and better service uh and have
1: better service okay so then what's the number two complaint after money
2: it's always
0: people saying that they don't want any any level of government doing it, um, you know, it's, it's a philosophical debate to them, and there's really there's really no way to address the philosophical debate that you get into basically a Monty Python <laughs> argument clinic. Yes, it is. No, it isn't.
1: <laughs> I'm sure that gets a little crazy sometimes. So so Wayne, do you have any counter or, or you know response to those by philosophical differences? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I again, I agree
2: with Jesse here. Uh, I think that number of people that have that philosophical opposition to this particular service shrinks over time. Uh, but in the end, there will always be uh, a small number of people. We still have people today who would rather uh, haul their own garbage to the county dump than pay their mandatory monthly uh, garbage <laughs> pickup fee. And, you know, so that's just how it is
1: and you just have to work with them.
2: Yep, exactly.
1: Now, are there other any other concerns that have uh, been been brought up that that either one of you have seen. I mean, I I know the philosophical is is universal and it's always going to be there. The money, everybody is always a little touching. I have a money question, which I'll ask in a minute. But basically, you know, I see where those two are coming from, those two uh, issues are coming from. Is there anything else that has has popped up, maybe something that you weren't expecting as a uh, criticism or a concern that has become a topic as of late?
2: Uh, yeah, I have one I think that's really just inherent to the system and our history again. It really isn't specific to Macquarie, and that is we have had such a difficult time in, in making the system work, making it grow, providing the vision and the, and the promise of the vision that we originally had, but there still is just a lot of concern, and, and rightfully so, uh, good healthy skepticism about, yeah, is Macquarie uh, the entity – and is this the model to make it work? And so from that, people just want a lot of examination, and, and that's okay. That's just something we have to wade through. Mm-hmm. So, so
1: now one of the yeah, things- that really
0: is a, a problem long term mm-hmm. is that there have been a lot of promises made that, quite frankly, haven't been lived up to. And you know, even though the promises keep getting more and more conservative in what they're going, you know, oh, well, we're going to do this, and so, you know, finally we have the do- the new promise, and a lot of people say, okay, that's great. What have you done for me? And they look back at, well, you said you were going to be at my house in six months, and that was three years ago, and you're still not here. What's the deal? And I I do think that there are some trust issues there just because it is difficult to build out these systems, um, you know, and it's, it's hard to overcome some of those initial stumbles of, the bad initial network deployment and the initial US West lawsuit that held up pole attachment.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, definitely.
1: So now, one of the questions that I have had is not not a not a complaint or, or a criticism. It's one of understanding because I'm not a finance person. I was a poli sci major and I'm a marketing guy, but I'm I'm not the number side of marketing. How does this? Um, utility fee pro- component of this work? Because I think, I know there was an article by one of the uh, we'll call the loyal opposition, you know, the philosophically op- opposed to this, that, you know, talked about the money, you know, the, the, the fees, and this is another tax, and, and so forth, and so on. Can you, sort of in a clear line, I guess, by Wayne, this might be the best, you might be the best one to, to do this, kind of talk through the utility fees, structure, who's going to pay what kind of thing, because that still perplexes me, mostly because I'm not a numbers person. Yeah, okay, so maybe
2: I can start with just the the, the bottom line and we can expand it from there as you'd like discussion-wise. So Mm -hmm. the utility fee would be charged um, universally to all residents and businesses across the city, and all of the cities that would participate, uh, it would be charged monthly, and it would be collected just like any other utility-type bill, uh, once again, whether it's was waste or water or sewer, uh, for that matter, power. Some cities run their own power, and maybe that's the easiest way to, to think of it. That's mm-hmm. why it's attractive, by the way, to Macquarie, because as, as Jesse had mentioned earlier, that is such a stable source from a, a, a normal collection and availability standpoint, that financiers are more willing to lend and bond against that uh, at lower rates of interest and therefore at a cheaper price. And that's also what makes it, uh, that, or that's another factor that makes it attractive to Macquarie. So it's stable, it's cheaper, they can provide a, uh, a, a more reliable return to their investors uh, and at the same time, everybody understands what that is when you get the bill you know, for, for your uh, garbage bill every month. You understand what that is. This is a little mm-hmm. bit newer concept, so everybody has would have to get used to that idea of paying a utility bill for my fiber network. But that's the main concept. And the okay. an important
0: thing to bear in mind with costs is that it's, it's very hard to pin down exactly what the actual fee is going to be. Because Macquarie is assessing a fee to the cities, and the fee that actually ends up on an individual resident's bill is going to vary depending on whether, you know, how much the fee is. Because right now it's a range, 18 to 20 a month, and how much revenue the city is bringing in. Because this deal is Macquarie charging the city basically a flat rate to build and operate the network, and whatever the city brings in revenue-wise, it's keeping the vast majority of it. So uh, when you're looking at the worst-case scenario, the utility fee to an end-user is actually about $12 a month. But when you look at the best-case scenario, it's about $0.96 a month. So there's a huge swing there, and it really depends on how many users can Macquarie bring into the network. And and
2: maybe this helps helps clarify a little bit, but the way I, I think about the revenues as they come in under the utility model is really there's two pots. There's the base... $18 18 to $20 a month that Jesse's talking about, and that pay, that's what pays for the actual construction and maintenance of the system. And as I'm, as I'm sure you're aware, there's a basic uh, service that's uh, provided to that, which is also sort of a matter of a little bit of debate right now, how robust that uh, basic service ought to be. But above that basic service, just like uh, the Google work in Provo or others around the country, if you want actual high-speed uh, broadband, you will pay. Uh, you know, you'll get the choice to pay for a premium and whatever service provider you want to provide that. Above that, and that's the second pot. That revenue is what Jesse's speaking about. That would go back to the cities or the vast majority of it. So the first pot of money pays for the construction and the investment in the system, and that's really. Why this is a good, stable, and almost bulletproof method for getting the network itself built. The second pot of money, the revenues from the from the uh, higher take of uh, services, is what is the more variable piece. That is what would go back to the cities for other uses. Frankly, the the highest uh, uh, hope of that money is that it would be able to go used to go back and pay off the earlier debt. Right, okay. Well, and
0: and looking at some historical data, I don't think it's too hard to see that it's easy to at least break even on this. Um, the low-end assumption from Macquarie is a 30% take rate. The high-end assumption is a 50%. And looking at the math, in order to break even, which is you, pay the, you would pay the same amount under the Macquarie deal as you would pay by just keeping the existing bonds, it's about a 38% take rate. For reference, Provo managed to get a 35% take rate with some really terrible providers, MSTAR and Broadweave. Now, if Provo can get 35% with absolute train wreck dumpster fire companies, it seems <laughs> fairly easy to get 38% with companies that have pretty solid reputations.
2: Yeah, we would concur that, uh, the, especially at the lower end of that range, at the 30%, we kind of follow the same logic. Um, You haven't had a built-out and a scaled network. You haven't had high-quality service providers across that time. Those kinds of things have led to uh, bad feelings or or not that much confidence in the system, and we were still able to get somewhere around uh, those kinds of take rates. So, yeah, how much better would the situation be having solved those problems? That's kind of the same way we look at it.
1: Right. Now, one of the questions... That come to my mind is, you know, we look at typically as the 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 folks in the community broadband business. When we look at networks and we kind of try to project their potential success and so forth, I think a lot of us look to the residential take rate. You know, they're talking about how many homes can you pass, how many homes can you serve, and I think a lot of the financial analysis is based on a residential um, cell, but Would not a successful business drive for the network services actually give you a stronger cushion for success? Because the average business will likely pay for um, a higher level of service. They tend to be more loyal. They tend to be, um, you know, uh, once they're there, you know, they may you know, quickly buy additional uh, services, right? There, there's less money spent to get them often, right? So is it possible that a heavy emphasis on generating business customers within all of your cities would lead to a, you know, a, a better cushion for success,
2: yeah, absolutely. In fact, that's one of the lessons we've learned over the last uh, few years and one that once again through our experience we're we're trying to impart as much uh, knowledge as we can to Macquarie or frankly any other proposer out there that's looking at doing network systems like this. The commercial uh and business aspect of the network provides huge advantage if you can if you can take advantage of it.
1: Because right now, um You know, I've I've interviewed a number of cities over the last few years, and I think the most common thread that I have found is that um, folks sell to residences because, well, you need to, you have to. They're obviously part of the, the market, but they just get so much better return for the time and energy spent Selling to the business side, and then or and then you sort of you rack you know you you add into there you know your institution, you know the libraries, the hospitals, the the school districts, and so forth. Once you start negotiating deals with those larger entities, again you're bringing in substantial revenue, and um, and, and your cost to to land that business is just not. Now I realize that the the the, the marketing strength of your providers is what's going to make this difference but at the same time I would assume that in your planning or your you know work with Macquarie that someone is thinking about you know who's going to like spearhead a serious marketing effort to the business side is, is that correct so you're saying
2: the big questions of uh, how this project, uh, or how, how it uh, swing, the success of it swings on how we market to the businesses. If, if that, if I understood that correctly, yeah, I would agree. It's important. Yeah,
1: that, that was a question, really. <laughs> yes, you know, the the businesses and and then the large institutions.
2: Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You, yeah, you were absolutely right to hit on the schools. The the medical networks and systems. We have quite a few customers like that now, even at our small scale uh, at Utopia. And yet, yeah, it's hugely important, and it's a, it's a great, uh, once you get a couple of customers in those institutional areas, you really can leverage that to higher um, uh, sales and, and connections,
1: obviously. Mm-hmm. Now, you guys might have thought about this already. Um, I I wrote an article over the weekend for GigaOwn on telemedicine and broadband and how much this can impact the local economy. And what was interesting is, um, you know, one of the folks I interviewed, it's this medical district in Illinois in in the Chicago area, and they're talking about needing um, 100 gigs. Because when you get all those medical institutions and all those doctors moving, all those high, you know, bandwidth uh, files, you know, x-rays and MRIs and all the rest of it, collectively, it's a huge data traffic thing, right? Well, if I'm the network operator, you know, if I'm, you know, uh, Utopia and Macquarie, I would think that, you know, you, you, you could look at the, the medical world as, as a serious seriously huge um, revenue stream just by itself. So, you know, I, I throw that out there as a thought that, you know, I don't know if you thought yeah. about any specific verticals, but, you know, it's, you know after, after having, um, you know, done these interviews with some of the folks in the medical community, it just mm-hmm. seems like there's a huge need that is just totally, you know, or largely untapped at the moment.
2: Yeah, I absolutely agree. Like I mentioned, we have a few medical customers right now, but all that really has done is opened our eyes to to the the potential demand. Now, I will say this, too. Just like uh, has been an issue in the developing market for broadband, you know, there, there's still a question, not just at the residential level, but even at the business level, of recognition of the uh, the possibilities here, I can also say we've, we've had discussions with uh, other medical institutions that just had not as yet uh, grabbed onto the, 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 the possibilities of this kind of access. And I often wonder, and this is just me sort of asking the question, it's no no knowledgeable position at all, but I often wonder if a lot of it isn't just plain uh, you know familiarity. I'm familiar with my network. it's stable. I'm not worried about it breaking down tomorrow. If I switch over to some other system, I'm going to have to worry about all those things all over again that I've resolved and and uh I think sometimes that that's one of the big inhibitors to change.
1: Mhm now, my next question sort of is where Where do you go now? You mentioned early on that you're in the um negotiation stage still and there's still some some details to be worked out and so forth what are what can the communities realistically expect to happen over the next i don't know 60 days to 4 months as as you guys work this thing through yeah there's probably really two
2: real uh, bright line kinds of things that uh, we could point and look to. The first one is that actually within the proposal evaluation time period, we have 60 days from uh, oh, oh, roughly a week ago for the city, cities to decide, is this a solid enough proposal and an interesting enough proposal that they want to move on further into the evaluation? So that mm-hmm. that's the first choice the, the cities themselves are looking at. The other uh, major effort going on at the same time, frankly, is to just firm up uh, numbers associated. Everything flows to that utility fee, right? So we're firming up all the numbers that would that would play into that, along with all the other considerations that go to all the lessons we've learned over time that you also alluded to earlier. So commercially, how does this work? Financing-wise, how does this work? What are the legislative and legal kinds of considerations that go into this? All those sorts of things uh, are, are getting further and more detailed attention now.
1: So as you come out of this process, and, you know, we're assuming that everybody is, is happy with the, uh, the end product. I mean, you make little tweaks and, you know, all those things to keep the lawyers happy. Um, when the deal gets struck, what kind of timeline then are we looking at? Because I think one of the real... Uh, realities of this whole thing is that there are a lot of cities that are part of utopia and so there's going to be some sort of build out timeline I'm assuming there's some sort of priority structure uh, because you can't build everybody all on the same day so how does that do you think that might evolve once you get past everybody's happy with each other we're now ready to get married
2: yeah, yeah. so the, the the one number I can give you because it's been Macquarie's proposal and, and they seem pretty comfortable with it and they've been saying it in public is what the actual construction mm-hmm. time would be. And they, they're saying approximately 30 months if all 11 cities were okay. to participate. Where I'm not as comfortable and, and given our earlier conversation about failed promises in the past and I certainly am <laughs> sensitive to that for sure, I honestly uh, – I would hope that we're able to get through the rest of the proposal and evaluation period here within the year if it's going to – within the year if it's going to work out and be into actual construction or at least preparation for construction uh, uh, early next year in the spring. But that's all speculating right now. I mean, we really, right. frankly, took quite a bit of time to get through this first – phase of the proposal milestone wise it took it took us about twice as long as we thought it would so now we're sitting back and kind of reevaluating how how long should the rest of this take
1: mm-hmm. now Jesse from the flip side of this you know from the the, the man in the street the woman in the street uh, perspective how what kind of patience level are we looking at I mean is there high level of hope so now there's like renewed patience you know it's kind of like you you've, you've um, you know, restarted the patient's meter because here's kind of a new page, a new opportunity, you know, solid, uh, company and all that other kind of stuff involved. What's, what, what are folks in the trenches saying about all of this? What's, how, how do you think they're going to deal with, you know, this kind of a timeline?
0: Well, there's finally some more money being put in the kitty and that's really what makes this completely different. Um, when you look at the initial build plan, it was, we're going to bond for less than half of the total network cost because the state prohibits us from doing anything more, and maybe we'll be able to build the rest of the network from the revenues from that, which, mm-hmm. as we see, didn't pan out. And then the second plan was, all right, well, let's see if we can build enough network to at least hit our operating expenses. And the bonding was for a relatively small amount of money, um, so, you know, it was always, they were kind of moon shoots, really, of let's see if we can turn these smaller investments into something. And this one's very different because it's, you know what, we're going to pay what it actually costs to build the darn thing already. And we guarantee that we will have it built. And that's the end of that story, and you can see exactly how much it's going to cost us. And I think that that, is, that raises the level of confidence in that it will be executed, um,
1: because there's actually
0: money going into it now, before there really wasn't. It was a small investment with the hope that maybe it would turn into something much larger.
1: That should definitely, um, you know, as this thing unfolds, I'm guessing that the comfort level because of, of Macquarie and who they are will, um, you know, will be, a big, uh, will be a big plus in terms of people's patience. Let's uh, slip this over to another line of uh, concern I think that people have. Not concern, I'm sorry. I guess hope might be a better way to look at it. You guys oh, – let, let me retract. With a lot of the cities, particularly those who are aggressively pursuing relationship of some sort with Google, and it's not just Google. I mean, there, there have been smaller companies – in regional or state efforts down in mississippi down in north carolina that are coming in offering a google like proposal but the, the attitude of the cities seemed to be whatever it takes to get the deal done that's what they're willing to do now the and and then the google structure you know, there is no revenue sharing. There, there's a lot of handing over of access to um, rights of ways, you know, community assets. How should cities be approaching uh, private sector partners? Because to me it doesn't seem like we're, these communities are negotiating from a perspective of a, a, a strength they're negotiating from a perspective of desperation, which is generally, in the world of negotiating, the worst thing you can possibly do. Do we need a change in how – I know Jesse feels pretty strongly about this. I'll let Jesse start off.
0: I've been telling people that the reason Google looks good is because they've been in an abusive relationship with the incumbents for way too long. Uh, if it were anyone else offering the exact same terms, they would be told to go pound sand. You know Google is effectively saying, "Hey, let us come into your city. I want you to forego a few million dollars in franchising fees and expedite you know and expedite all of our processes and basically you know get out of our way so that we can hook up maybe a third of your city while we redline the rest and when you really look at it critically and realize those are the terms being offered, you go, "Well, it's pretty cheap, but you're obviously getting what you pay for."
1: Right. That is very true. I mean, I, I and my bias is probably very much along the same lines as yours, uh, Jesse, because I'm very pro uh, community, you know, position on this whole deal, and mainly for the constituents. I mean, you know, it's to, it, they ultimately have to benefit from these deals. And if you give away their assets, um, I mean, that's, that's, I think that's a large part of why we have the problems we have with incumbents currently, whether they're telco or cable companies or whatever, is that people did deals 10 years ago that might have looked sweet at that moment in time, but have pretty much straightjacketed their constituents for today. I mean, and maybe I'm being a little harsh, but I think, I don't know, Jesse, was that, is that, was that a too rough a commentary
0: no, I don't think so, because it seems like once you pick Google, um, you know, it, it's kind of hard to to a few years later say, oh, man, we made a bad decision. How do we undo it? Because you can't. You signed a seven, five- or seven-year contract, and you got to wait for that contract to run up. And, you know, if Google decides, well, we're going to stay around because we're making pretty good money at being a new monopolist, well, sucks to be you. What what are you gonna do? Go and try and overbuild them with a Mini network?
1: Right, you're kinda of, you're kinda of, you're kinda of stuck there at that point. Mm-hmm. So, so so Wayne, what's what's the secret of the deal? How how is it that you guys in Utopia you know, managed to negotiate what I consider a an equitable deal. I mean, everybody in this deal, as it's been explained to me and I've read and you guys have described, you know, everybody wins in this deal. Right? But you guys uh-huh. haven't done the deal from a perspective of desperation. What did what did you do? I mean, how how did you gain your strength to 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 to, to create this kind of a deal?
2: You know, I, I would I would attribute that to two uh, things. First, I think we have been really pretty firm, even through all the years of trial here, of sticking to our, our vision. And maybe some of that has just been accidental in terms of, uh, you know, we never got the build we wanted and never got our vision in the first place. Uh, but I don't attribute at all to that because there are lots of cities and systems in the same position. So first and foremost, yes, we've been committed to we were going to get this system built one way or the other over time, and we and even if you it, even if you consider the the last round of build that we did that you were you were mentioning, we did that with the notion that we knew it wouldn't be the end um, it would not be the end uh, proposal that would get us to to full build out, but we hoped that it would get us to a level of stability so that as the environment changed, we'd be able to consider other options that came along. So that's the first piece, and I think we were correct in viewing that other options will come on, come along. We know the environment is changing out there. We know the demand for this
1: kind of service
2: is increasing out there. So the second item that I would credit this to, frankly, is to Macquarie. Macquarie actually came in and and they said, hey, we think we've got a concept for a deal that's a, a win-win for both parties here, and we'd like to explore it with you. And the the process is been fairly open, and I give those guys a lot of credit uh, from the standpoint of being willing to do that and work with us and, and explore a new idea and a concept here. So those are the two things, our original vision that we've been willing to live through the, the hard times of to, to do whatever we could do to preserve it and to a entity which, granted, they also have experience. Uh, this is kind of their mantra and their business model, private partner uh, relationships. Or public and private partner relationships, and, and they're good at it mm-hmm.
0: and, that's, and that's kind of the thing that's probably being missed a little is Macquarie wants this to be a good deal for cities yep. because this is their pilot, and if it goes well, other cities are going to jump on board, and so mm-hmm. they need it to be good for all parties, they need it to look really good because you know, for them, putting three or four hundred million into this deal that's. That's nothing to them. they're a you know hundred billion dollar company, but if it works and they can take it to other cities across the country, then that's why they're going to offer good terms is they need it. they need them to be good terms so that other cities will say, "You know what? I'm on board."
2: Absolutely. Uh, again, it's in their business model. they know why it lies in their advantage to incentivize us and make this project look good, and so uh, they're they're trying to make it happen. Mhm.
1: Now, is the message then that communities need to shop around? Because I have always been of the opinion that communities haven't thoroughly examined their possibilities, that they get into a very narrow mindset of our only options are we got to tax or we've got to sell bonds or we've got to give up everything, right? But there seems to be a need for cities to go shopping, I mean, to really get outside of the box in terms of who they look for, what kind of deals they want to structure, rather than just to limit themselves before they even walk out the gate. And and, and, and I don't know, Wayne, I mean, you're, you're a city person, you're a city manager. You know, would that be advice that you would give your peers, you know, shop around, do better, look for better?
2: Absolutely, especially if you're in the situation of uh, not having done this before and have the ability to sort of learn from everybody else's experiences over the last decade. I think this is a prime time for cities to be able to start approaching this concept and, and absolutely do it in a smart way. What are all the examples out there? What has worked? What can work? Not just uh, sell yourself off to the first proposal that comes along, like you say.
1: Mm-hmm. So... How do you think the lineup of new, of new cities uh, will be after you guys get through all of this negotiation period? I mean, do you see, you know, dozens of cities in Utah uh, lining up for this? Is there going to be a lot of me too, me too? You know, what about those cities like Salt Lake and Provo that have thrown in with Google? You think they might change their mind? Yeah,
2: I have no idea, boy. That's one thing I de- definitely have learned over the last decade. It's it's really difficult to predict how these paths proceed once you look at the first band. I do know, you know, we're we've, we're about using all our bandwidth, so to speak, to to use the word we can, just to uh, examine this amongst our 11 cities. So that's our focus right now, and that's where hmm. there we want to be. And, and who knows what the future holds, possibility wise.
1: Hmm. Jesse, what do you think? Are are there – I mean, what are you seeing when you talk to people from other cities? Honestly,
0: I think people are kind of – are a lot more attuned to what's going on out there. Um, In Salt Lake City, um, you don't see the same kind of cheerleading that you saw down in Provo. You see a lot of people who are stepping back and saying, hey, you know, I I mean, I guess this is better than nothing, but – what Utopia is offering, and especially with what Macquarie throw it on top, this is what we really should be working for. Google should be our fallback position, not Utopia. Uh, so I think people have realized there's a lot of value in having that level of competition, and I think that they're looking at um, any deal to bring Fiverr to their city much more critically in terms of what is this actually offering us, and what are we giving up to get it.
1: Mm-hmm. And if you were to be in a conversation with cities and other states, uh, would you be just as bullish in the message about shop around, shop around?
0: Absolutely. Um, There's no reason to take the first offer that comes to you. Uh, You wouldn't do that when you're buying a car. You wouldn't do that when you're buying a house. You certainly shouldn't do it when you're buying broadband.
1: Mm -hmm. Have people gotten, I don't know... Too starry-eyed over the whole Google I mean I don't want to turn this to a Google bashing session because I 'm really not. I mean, I like the folks there, but at the same, but I, but I look at cities and I sort of think, maybe there's too much starry-eyed wonder that also goes and, and then falls into this, well, if they're going to offer to dance, then let's, let's dance. You know, tear up all the other dance cars. we're going to dance with Google in the story, because they're the superstars, the rock stars
0: they've got some incredible brand power which really really goes a long way um, mm-hmm. and that's something that you just can't discount uh, they're, they're technology superstars people love Google and um, you know to be honest the people who get their service it is great service we'll see if that keeps up in the long haul um, and obviously it kind of stinks for people who don't get in on the fiber hoods um, because it's either sign up now or forever hold your peace. There are a lot of so I think that over time you're going to see uh you know a pretty souring reputation once the honeymoon is over.
2: Mhm. You know, and so, I would add too. I would say I don't I don't fault or or denigrate uh, Google's efforts in these areas at all, which I know you're not as well. Uh, if I had any commentary to that uh, scenario, it really just goes back to our earlier conversation. The cities themselves need to be more responsible and knowledgeable about what are the what is what is it we want, what is our goal, uh, and and how can we get there, and uh, be more responsible in that way. Uh, you know, I think Google has offered a a, a great possibility. Certainly has vastly widened the conversation, right, about how broadband service can finally get provided here across the country, and I applaud them for that for sure. We as cities just need to get more uh, uh, smart about it, frankly.
1: So let me ask, uh, we only have about six minutes or so left. An important question to me is the question of digital inclusion. And I think one of the PR stumbles that Google had in the beginning in Kansas City was that when you do the fiberhood, you know, show me the money and I'll build your neighborhood first, by default, you will leave out low-income communities. And that is okay if there is a plan to somehow bring those communities into something whereas it seemed like Google said, okay, we're going to do this. And then when some of the low-income communities said, well, can you just bring us a, a fiber line and we'll do a wireless thing and we'll pay for the connection, but everybody in our community can't afford all this. We just need to have a wireless connection and we're good to go and Google refused. I wonder, you know, what have you guys done to in your, in your talks with Macquarie to ensure that there
2: aren't low-income folks left out of the equation. Well, that's actually one of the the huge advantages of the utility fee model and the provision of uh, any utility. I mean, just like you would, under no circumstance, consider building a water system that didn't provide water to to anybody just because of their income base, and you uh, have conceived that you're going to be able to build that system in a manner that allows it to be affordable enough for anybody, frankly, or mm-hmm. almost anybody to, to afford that. That's one of the major advantages of this proposal. If we can make this work out, every address will be connected. And that's something that's a bit very uh, important to us, I might say particularly to West Valley City, uh, putting on my city manager hat for, for a moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, West Valley City, uh, the, the, the elected officials, our council, is very concerned about the educational opportunities of our um, our children, and our residents, and especially in the, 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 the generation that is growing up, and they want them to have the best educational opportunities that they can. And, and frankly, in our city, our income levels are a little lower than average. Uh, we see this as being a way to provide an educational, or at least a pipe, so to speak, uh, to educational opportunity by providing that kind of bandwidth to every, every household.
1: Mm-hmm. So it basically is a universal coverage by way of um, a, a structured model that ensures everybody can participate, no one gets, you know, inordinately high fees, you know, it isn't a pay to play in the sense of, you know, who has the most money wins kind of thing. You've built equity, equality into the, stru- into the plan, into the business plan and structure, is that a good way to sum it up? Yep, I think so. Excellent, excellent. Now, how aggressively are the communities um, planning for this? In other words, when uh, when when Google announced Kansas City, there were just a multitude of planning activities. Some centrally structured and organized by the city; uh, others were just you know neighborhood things that came together. But people just went into this whole you know, planning mode and preparation mode to take advantage of the network once the network got into place. What kind of stuff is going on in the utopia cities? And we've got about two minutes, so we've got to be quick on this one. Uh, I'll, I'll try to be real quick.
2: I'd like to hear uh, Jesse's perspective on that as well, but really two angles I'm thinking about from that. One is the actual network construction planning, and, and as you mentioned, we already have a lot of experience in that, so I think we're well on our way. The other really, frankly, I think is, a, a, is a, a movement that needs to gather some momentum and will come along as this proposal gets farther away. I think we're actually still fairly early in the process. But now is really the time. Conversation's got to start about, okay, do we like this model? Uh, do we value it enough to make it a utility? Uh, How is that going to work? Mm-hmm.
1: Jesse, what's your take? What's going mm-hmm. on in the process? How are people prepping for this?
0: Um, honestly, people seem to be ex- just excited that they can get fiber finally. Um, you know, because it's pretty obvious that when you start paying money, you're going to get something. And really what the, the important part of this is explaining to them, here's how much you're, going, you're probably going to pay based on our expectations. And as long as they've got a feel of, well, I'm not going to pay more than if we did nothing, but I am going to get my fiber, most of them seem to be... Perfectly fine with that.
1: Excellent. So we're just about out of time here. I want to thank both of you, uh, Jesse and Wayne, for coming in and spending time and helping us understand the Macquarie deal. I think the core message that you guys present, which is you know shop around, negotiate fairly but but forcefully on behalf of the constituency. Uh, And, um, you know, and and then just do all the other due diligence. That's what other cities need to do. There's there's a bigger opportunity. There are bigger opportunities and more opportunities than cities see. And they just got to need to open their eyes up and their minds open to that. And I think we'll be good to go. So I thank you for the message and I thank you for, uh, you know, your input. And I'm sure I'll be in touch with you guys over the course of time as things unfold and probably have you back on the show again one day. So, gentlemen, thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thank you. And to our audience, thank you very, very much for uh, listening in. Uh, Later this week, I'll be broadcasting from Washington, D.C. We're going to look at broadband stimulus programs, where they are, what's in store for the future in those projects. Uh, Have a great day, folks, and we'll talk soon.